Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Joe Vitale with another Inner Circle interview for Hypnotic Gold members only. Well, I'm very excited because today we're going to expand your mind. We're going to be talking about creativity, creativity techniques, and how to think more like Einstein or somebody along those lines. And one of my favorite peoples of all time, one of my favorite authors, one of my dear friends of many decades, a man whose work, whose books, whose tapes, whose research I've greatly admired, I've greatly followed, who I have said is a living Einstein or a da Vinci, is uh, on the line with me. And I'm talking about Win Wagner. He is a pioneer in the field of creativity and creative method, accelerated learning, brain and mind development, and political economy. Wynn has written many books, I think something like over 48 published books so far. One of my all-time favorite books is one called Discovering the Obvious. Discovering the Obvious. I even love the title, Discovering the Obvious. I ended up buying several copies of that, giving them away to friends and keeping uh, more than one copy near me almost at all times. Uh, Wynn has also written Beyond Teaching and Learning, his most widely popular work that he wrote with Richard Poe is called The Einstein Factor, The Einstein Factor. He's also famous for a work called How to Increase Your Intelligence. He also has a couple audio programs with Nightingale Conant. And so without further ado, Wynn, thank you for being on the line. My pleasure. I had to kind of look over my shoulder a little bit there during the introduction to see who you're talking about. <laughs> well, look in the mirror, because I'm talking about you. And you know I've known you for decades, and I've known of your work for a very long time, and you and I don't get to talk very often, but I've greatly admired you, and I have told you before that I think you are a living Einstein. And the, the most wonderful thing about this is not only are you creative, but you teach people how to be creative. And that's the real reason why I wanted you to be on this interview for my Hypnotic Gold Inner Circle members only. Because I'm giving people a lot of information. I'm giving them a lot of tools and techniques. And I'm interviewing people who are helping them think out of the box. For example, I did a recent interview with Aaron Cushman, who's a legendary public relations expert. This guy promoted the Three Stooges and Dean Martin and worked for presidents and was a co-owner of the Chicago Red Sox, I think it was. And he, he openly said that he can find writers, writers were a dime a dozen, but idea people were very hard to find. And so I just couldn't help but think I really care about the people in this Hypnotic Gold membership, and I want them to be able to come up with ideas. I want them to stretch their minds. I want them to look outside of the box or inside the box or under the box or however we want to create this metaphor to make it work. So, when that's why I have you on the call. You game for all of this? Early. Well, first question is, can anyone be more creative? Was that a question? Uh, the... Uh... The matter is so very simple. If you understand basic psychology, you understand very easily uh, at least the basic outline of how to be more creative. It's a function of what portion of your own ideas that you make a concrete response to. Well, you'll have to explain that because yeah. a lot of people that I hear from will say that they're not creative, that they're not visual, that they don't think of anything unusual or what they might consider to be out of the ordinary. And 
I guess we need to start there, is how do you address those skeptics or those people who think that I am who I am and I don't think creatively? Every one of us has all sorts of stuff going on all the time. And once you've trained yourself to look for attention cues in people's responses, you'll see it going on in other people. You can even see it going on in dogs who aren't the swiftest thing around. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me an example of what you mean. How can we notice that? Maybe a, a story of your own or how we might notice it, whether in a dog or in a coworker. Well, in a coworker, you see the eyes flick up and to the side uh, one way or another. Uh, you know something's caught their attention. Ask them what's in your awareness just then, and it's close enough to the stimulus that there's a good chance of... Uh, identify what that was before it got away. And uh, in yourself, there are all sorts of ways of evoking it. Um, maybe, let me, let me start with uh, one very simple measure that uh, uh, enables anyone to get immediately pretty much halfway to genius. Hmm. Uh, are you ready for this? <laughs> you can get anybody halfway to genius? In one quick stroke. This sounds like, you know, I'm a marketing guy and a copywriter, so I hear headlines and opportunities everywhere. So I'm hearing, I see this headline here, how to become, you know, with one technique, how to get halfway to genius. Except this is for free. And this is, and this is what? This is for free? <laughs> well, you certainly have my attention, Wynn, so proceed. Okay. Uh, at this point, when I'm teaching this to a group of people, I whip out of my pocket a uh, uh, steno pad and riffle through it as a high-technology process, but uh, let me explain what's going on there. The law of effect is that you get more of what you reinforce. You get more of what you reinforce. And, of course, you also get less of what you don't reinforce. Mm. Uh, have you ever had the experience of starting to get an idea on something and you let it slip away, and it, then it was gone. <laughs> yeah. How many times a day do you have that experience? <laughs> yeah, I think I've trained myself more or less to pursue all of those ideas. Good. This is why wherever I go, I seem to see ideas and opportunities. That's is that exactly I'm, it. I'm not dismissing them. I'm actually curious, and I look and go, huh, I wonder, I wonder what that is or where that would go if I pursued it. And you make some sort of concrete response, such as making a note, uh, I'm a great believer in making notes. And uh, that's the difference. Because every time you don't do that and you let something slip away, you're reinforcing the behavior of being uncreative. Okay. You're reinforcing so, the ideas that your ideas aren't worth dealing with. But if you do make some sort of concrete response to them, that reinforces not only the idea, it reinforces the behavior of having ideas. So are you suggesting we're already getting these ideas, but most of us are not paying any attention to them or dismissing them, not reconfirming them, uh, acknowledging them, writing them down, and so they're gone? That's absolutely correct. Aha. Uh -huh. So a fundamental premise that I'm hearing from you that I may be unspoken from you, but I'm speaking it, is that the creative process is always going on, Ideas are always around us or in our awareness or in, our, in the air around us, I guess, in our awareness. And it's our choice to either pay attention to them or not, and most of us unconsciously are just dismissing them. Correct. We've trained ourselves to pay attention to only what we're paying attention to, whatever that is, 
and treat everything else as a distraction and try to shut it away. Well, how do we begin to change this? So we begin to cha- pay more attention to what we've just totally blocked out or blacked out. One is the obvious, simple one of uh, whenever you do start to notice yourself having an idea, you try what you were describing yourself doing. You make some sort of concrete response to it. You make a note of it, not only in order to have that idea for later, but in order to reinforce the fact that you're having ideas. I keep notebooks everywhere. I have a notebook in my pocket. I have a notebook in my car. I have no, I'm have. i talking about little notebooks. I don't carry a giant yeah. thing. I hope you have the practice with it of uh, entering uh, notes into your computer every three, four days. I don't. And now, do you do that? Is that paper piled all over the place then? I do. I have paper piled everywhere. It, it's a, uh, a fire hazard and a <laughs> and, and a disorganized mess. Okay. But I, I tend give you a to suggestion then. Tell me. Um, uh, aiming at the practice of every three, four days entering your notes into uh, the computer where search code will help you find your data. Um, I, I When I was buried under stra- piles of scraps of paper, scrappies of paper, mm-hmm. I'm still bowed, pot, buried under piles of paper and books, but that's another thing. But mm-hmm. the little scrappies, they were particularly <laughs> a problem. And I asked my own image stream uh, how to solve that one, and I got back a literal image. It was a plank about two inches wide and about four feet long with two rails, two, two rows of nails down it. And the idea that came with that was each nail represented a classification, and I'd spike each little scrappy on whichever classification it fit until I'd gone through the piles, and then I could summarize each classification to that point, and then I was able to keep up from that point on with the new oncoming new scrappies. Well, I've got two or three questions that just burst into my brain. <laughs> the, the first one is, you did something to come up with that image, and you said that very quickly. So what did you do? Was that a part, Is that part of your image streaming when you yes. said, okay? Yes, I literally asked my faculties a question and looked and see to look to see what was the answer, and most of the time, the answers come symbolically. Sometimes they come uh, concretely, and that was an example of a concrete. Okay, let me break that down for the people who don't understand or who haven't read your books or been to your website, which I will give out later. <clears throat> and so the first thing is you said you asked your faculties a question. What do you mean? You asked your brain? You asked yourself? How do you ask your faculties a question? The conscious part of me asked uh, the uh, beyond conscious parts of me that handle such information. Uh, that question, and uh, specifically that question, and then I looked in to see what the answer was. And that where, was where did you look? When you say you looked within or you looked in, where did you look? Well, basically, for most people, you close your eyes, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you find yourself looking looking at images. And if you haven't learned, uh, haven't, I, I guess I could could say if you haven't. Uh, learn not to be able to do this, then, uh, because everybody does it as a child, everybody has that at least as a child, uh, then uh, you just look and see what's playing, and you don't expect what the contents of the answer are, you just look in and uh, see what's actually going on in your mental image right now. A lot of us have been trained data being able to perceive that, and uh, so... 
you have to search for it a little bit or uh, experiment with doing that with different backgrounds of uh, light or different times of day relative to eating and so forth. Or you can go online and get complete instructions. Not only the complete instructions, or a whole curriculum of stuff out of image stream, but backup procedures to make sure you are able to pick up your images and also uh, also how to teach entire groups at a time. Now, were these instructions at your website because you bleeped out or something there for a second? Yes, at my website, winwinger.com. Okay, that's www.winwenger.com. <clears throat> and I'll give it again, and I'll give it later so people have time to get their pen and pencil, which they should already have, of course. www.winwinger.com. Win W I N, then W E N G E R dot com. Okay, so the instructions are there, and what you said was you. The first step was you posed a question to your faculties, to your 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 mind, your brain, and the second one was you allowed images to just sort of stream. Yes, they come up of seemingly of their own accord as a response. Now, how do I know what image that comes up is relevant to the answer? that's appropriate to my question. Well, if that's your intention, that's what's going to happen. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, so if I ask this question, uh, I need to have a clear question because that's, that's what's directing everything. Yes. And then the second part of this is kind of letting go because I've got to close my eyes and allow the images to come up. And because of the question, the images that come up will be relevant to it, though I may not consciously know it immediately. Is that correct? That's correct. So how do I decode these? Because I may get an image of a basketball with a grasshopper on top of it. How will I know if that's, how will I know how it's relevant? Well, ahead and assume that it's relevant, and the way to get it to meaning mm. is to then ask your faculties for, thank, thank them for giving you that answer, but ask their help in understanding it. Mm. Uh, that helps to take the form of another image or set of images, which are very different, but which are the same answer to the same question. And Fascinating. You do, and you do that twice, and that means you've got three sets of images, each of which is different from the others, but there's overlap. Of, in, if you record enough detail from each, you'll find points where they overlap. It might be that uh, the uh, er, everything in all three images has a curve to it, like a basketball. Mm -hmm. Or it might be that uh, you have the same kind of finish on objects in the second and third images as on that basketball, or the color, or it might be one thing perched on top of another. Uh, whatever is the same when everything else is different is the uh, main answer and the main message, and that makes it easy to spot. Well, I can easily see where this would be taking this out of my typical way of answering problems because I'm not controlling it anymore. I'm not just coming from a conscious awareness. I've, um, I've allowed the circle of possibilities to be greater, if, I'm, if I can word it that way. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong because I'm trying to interpret what you're saying here, uh, and I'm trying to create a, a type of formula. So the very first step is knowing what that question is. The very second one is to allow the images to come up. 
And the, the third one seems to be to assume that the images that came up have relevance and meaning and then look for it. Yes, and then what you do to uh, find that relevance or meaning is to generate more with the same intention, which are different except that they are somehow the same answer to the same question. Then you identify what is the same, and uh, that highlights the message for you. Fascinating. And all of these directions are at your website, www.winwenger.com. Yes. Let me make this more specific for people. Let me look at the, the idea that um, what if somebody needs to come up with a news release? And this goes back to I was talking about the publicist and, that we interviewed fairly recently. Somebody needs to come up with a news release, and the idea for an effective news release is they want news, not just a piece of paper. They want to create news, not news releases. So they're looking for a news angle for their business, and they might have an Internet website or whatever it happens to be, a retail store, dry cleaning, I don't know what it is. How would you walk them through or tutor them or advise them to be more creative, to look for that news release angle? Well, for that specific question, I would. Uh, there are two different things I could do. Uh, first, in keeping with what we've just been discussing, ask yourself uh, what is the most valuable thing for you to say in this news release, and close eyes and start looking at your image stream and describe whatever comes. And if it doesn't immediately ring your chimes as to what that is, you uh, then do what I was suggesting. You thank your faculties for that information, but ask their help in uh, uh, understanding it. That helps to take the form of a second set of images, and then if need be, a third, and then you find what's the same, and that suggests the uh, the main angle to you that you want to play. Interesting. So that's, that's one very direct way, and there's another. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Tell me. You already know what you think are the most important things you want to say. You just haven't gotten a hook on how to uh, start it off yet or mm-hmm. or what really to say around it. And uh, so write two or three sentences. This is a, a, the two-sheets two process. Okay. You break out two sheets of paper. On one, you write out the uh, two or three sentences with the main things you wanted to say in the news release. While you're writing that out, Notice that there are other things that pop up and in and out of your awareness as well while you are writing. Ah. Because this is the case all the time, not just when you're writing, but it, with anything you're doing. There's always second, secondary stuff going on. On Some of it's not so secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you notice what occurs to you, and you make a record of that while you're writing down those two or three uh, sentences. Uh, you make a note of that on that second sheet of paper, and there may be a number of things that occur to you before you can get to the end of the, once you're looking for it, once you get to the end of the second or third sentence. So you've got two sheets of paper going on in front of you, and you're kind of multitasking. You're writing a news release on one, and you're writing some images that are occurring as you're writing the first news release. Am I understanding correctly? Yes. Wow. And then... uh, the, the wow is just beginning, I guess, because here's yeah. the part of it. Yeah. You write those same two or three sentences again, the same words even, but in block capitals. Uh, hmm. 
uh, and while you're doing that, you again pay attention to what else is occurring to you and record the what else on that second sheet of paper. When you say you write out the two or three sentences, are you talking block about rewriting the news release, but in block capitals? Yes. Okay. In, so, in block print. Because, block print. Because uh, as you do so, that evokes secondary awarenesses and perceptions for you, and you want to capture these as they happen instead of just brushing them to the side. And uh, as you capture these, record them on that second sheet of paper. How long of a process is this? Do you imagine uh, we're it? We're talking about a, maybe a five or ten minute process, all told. Wow! And out of that five or ten minutes, do people tend to get stuff that they've never imagined before? I mean, is oh, it? Yes. It's that startling. Yes. And I usually recommend a third round on that too, but doing it in an exotic handwriting. Uh, for instance, if yours is forward forward slanting, make make it backward slanting or if it's large, you write small. Small, you write large. Uh, wow! As far as you write, I keep saying large. wow because I'm I'm impressed here and I'm I'm wowed. Uh, <laughs> let me if let me. Here at the computer, yeah, uh, you can do it with but varying the color of the uh, print or the color of the background or the of the font you're using. The idea is to get uh, three different representations of the same basic information. And while generating those representations, you capture those evoked sidebands of awareness that, that, that come up with doing that. And then when you've got the three representations sitting there, you again look at the one type of representation and see what not only the awarenesses that are evoked with that, but uh, the style of those awarenesses compared with the secondary awarenesses that are evoked with the second, let's say the block print or whatever. And out of that whole mixture, you find yourself with an immense wealth of options and alternatives and things that would occur to you to do, and you sort well, down from there. Okay, let me let me make sure I understand this. Okay, so if I'm going to do this on my computer, I might have two. Pa uh, pieces of paper, if you will, or two blank documents open up on my screen. Yes. So on the left, and does it matter if it's left or right? I'm going to assume on the left I'm writing my news release. I write the first three or four lines. Yeah. Okay. As I'm writing it, I may get tangent ideas, free association type images that are coming up to my awareness. And that could be anything from, I mentioned earlier, the basketball with the grasshopper on it, or it's a UFO flying through space, whatever it is. I go ahead and just write that down on the, the right side, the other sheet of paper? Yes. And so I do that for how long? Uh, well, after you've made your notes on the associations that came first, mm -hmm. and uh, you've finished writing out those two or three lines in the, uh, uh, at least what was, originally intended for the news release. Yes. Uh, you then, uh, uh, when the when the flow of associations lets up, then you start with the second second writing. Okay. And, and the second writing would be, if I'm doing it on the computer, you say I can do it with a different color or a different font or a different size. Or yes. Just play with something different. So it's it may trigger something different within me because it looks different on the computer. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. 
And then as I'm writing the same words in the news release, I'll pay attention to what's being triggered again image-wise, and I'll record the images that show up, whatever that happens to be, on that other sheet of paper or that other document that's open on my computer. Yes. Okay. In, in any in any instance, it's important to go ahead and write down everything that occurs, whether it seems relevant or not, because yeah. it is relevant even if it seems way off the wall. And that's a that's a fundamental premise to everything you're teaching is that this is this is relevant though you may not consciously piece it together yet. Yeah. Well, once you get it where you can look at it and you look at it, then you discover all kinds of things. Well, let's let's play this out for a minute. Say we've done this for this news release, and I've done through I've gone through three cycles here. What might I end up with? Am I going to end up? I mean, maybe you don't even know, but. Will I end up with a new kind of news release, or will I end up with a different angle, or am I going to end up... At the very least, you'll end up with a, a, a new and more powerful angle. Interesting. And one I didn't see beforehand, most likely. Yes. Wow. How do you come up with these things? How do you come up with a process like this? By paying attention. <laughs> but what are you paying attention... That, that, it is as simple as that. What are you paying attention to? What things are you paying attention to? to me. I'm sorry? Things as they occur to me. Things that I notice. Do you have volumes of notes everywhere? Oh, yeah. Books? I, mean, I remember... I, I needed that plank. <laughs> yes. I remember Steve Allen, the, the comedian and talk show host, had hundreds of notebooks because he recorded all of his ideas in these notebooks. And they weren't just diaries, but they were like his Da Vinci writings. And they were all over his house. Yes. And, of course, he was amazingly prolific and had his own talk show and created Meeting of the Minds and all of this other stuff. But he acknowledged every idea that came to him, whether he knew what he was going to do with it or not at the time. He recorded it all, which I think is your premise and my premise, is that when you keep recording it, you are telling yourself you want more of it. Yes. You are, you are reconfirming it. Yes. And it may not be physically possible to keep up with it all, but yeah. keep up with it as much as you can, and you live a very rewardingly creative life. I can imagine that you must be high all the time. <laughs> <laughs> are you? Are you? Are oh, you yeah. stimulated at all the time? Yes. Do you sleep? In fact, I do some of my best work in the hour before waking. Do you sleep for, you know, five hours, seven hours, or one hour a night and take naps like some people do? Or, Well, I'm, I'm still a family man, mm -hmm. husband, so uh, I have to keep conventional hours. And maybe I need them, I don't know, because I really haven't tried out the, uh, the Edison, uh, Bucky Fuller technique yeah. of uh, a nap every couple minutes or a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, uh, I do my some of my best work in the hour before waking. It's good to keep a uh, tape recorder or audio recorder, I should say. I'm dating myself when I say tape recorder. Mm -hmm. uh, or a notepad uh, close by your bedside or, or close by where you go immediately when you wake up. Is there a preferred method? Should it be written or should it be audio? Should we re be recording these ideas or writing them down? Does it, it matter? It probably differs from person to person. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who records all kinds of ideas while he's driving and wherever he's yeah. at, but now he has buckets of audio tapes he can't just flip through like you can a notebook to yeah. find your idea. 
what he could do on each tape, I don't know if he can go back and do them all retrospectively, but uh, he could uh, make up a descriptive index card on each tape, mm. and, do, and he'd do well probably to have 15 to 30 minute tapes rather than, uh, or that is, uh, precise mm-hmm. rather than the longer ones. Uh, and then he'd have a, a, a date, put a tight date on there and a brief description and leave space for a title when he's got a couple dozen of these made out, then he has a classification system once he's got the sense of how that's going, and then he can uh, put titles in according to that classification system. And Sounds then, like you've already solved that problem. <laughs> well, I still have piles of stuff around. Uh, if mm. you visited my house, I'd have to hand you a bowl of twine when you came in the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads me to wonder, are there, are there any software programs that help us either to think creatively or and or to organize all of our creativity when we start coming up with these ideas? Are there software that you prefer or like or endorse? I haven't found any. Mm. Uh, well, I, I come to think of that, I probably should look for some because uh, <laughs> my way of living here is a little harder than anybody else that gets exposed to it. Yeah. That, uh, so you're not using any particular software program yourself? You're just with Word or whatever it happens to be? Yeah. But if you do the thing that I suggested for the Scrappies, uh, you have everything in one big file with a search program, and you can find just about anything you've entered for a quick Well, do you use Word for that? Is that just in one big file where you're dumping more and more store, uh, ideas, Scrappies? Uh, yeah. Well, sooner or later, I transfer files into one, one big file, yes. Mm. Uh, wherever I happen to be and whatever I happen to be doing at the time, I I strike a file for that and then pull it into the main file. Well, here's an interesting question. Have you come up against any problems that could not be solved? I guess I should wear that with any problems that could not be solved with your creativity methods. I... Don't think I have directly. The, the indirectly, in that uh, sometimes you just, it just doesn't occur to you, or at least sometimes it hasn't occurred to me that well, this is something that I ought to come to grips with with the formal problem-solving procedure, and then go in and do that. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> and, and I guess it's just because there are so many issues littering the landscape, can't get around to all of them at least anytime soon. Well, what about the big ones like curing cancer? Have you taught your methods to the people that are doing the research? Is uh, one that of the, one of the things out of problem solve is how to get to the, get that to the people who are doing the research? Because, uh, well, I'm drafting a book for of creativity techniques for scientists that uh, mm. would would bear on that. Uh, but the uh, the the sciences for all that they're coming up with exotic findings, uh, are nevertheless a very conservative uh, in-group. Uh, hmm. They had a hard time in the beginning of the 20th century because all sorts of people uh, came out of the woodwork claiming they were scientists and with, with their own, shall we say, unique ideas. And, yes. And they've been sensitive on that ever since. So what I'm hearing is that they seem to be a kind of... Um consciously driven, they're not so much unconsciously driven group? Except for, except for the uh, really bright ones. Mm. Really bright ones. The uh, Jonas Salks and the uh, uh, well 
Well, I, I know what you mean there. Yeah. Well, what, what are you most proud of when it comes to your problem-solving method? Is, uh, I guess I'll take techniques first. What is the technique that you are most proud of when it comes to being more creative or solving problems that, uh, that we should know about? Is it the image streaming? Is it something else? Um, let me come at that a slightly different way. Um, because there are a number of specific techniques at this point with which I'm pleased. Um, I think of the maybe 400 some creativity related processes and techniques which are now in professional use around the planet. I think I've invented about half of them. <laughs> That's but pretty amazing. That would be 200 and some? At least. Amazing. Um, Probably as many in the accelerated learning area, but what people don't realize is that that's actually the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, here's the, there's only one thing in which I can claim any degree of credit, and the rest follows naturally from it. Uh, about 35 or so years ago, I was, uh, well, yeah, 35 years ago, uh, I was teaching full-time in a small college and looking for stuff to improve the, uh, enrich the learning of my students. And I first got into the creativity literature at that time, started assimilating some of the stuff that was in the literature, uh, the Osborne Parnes CPS process, for example, which is still a, main, still a mainstay, mm-hmm. and synectics, uh, and then later other it occurred to me to propose at that time, anybody who'd listen, and of course only my students would have to sit still and listen, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, if you have a good method of solving problems, one of the best problems to work it on is on the problem of how to create better methods of solving problems. Oh, boy. I love that. <laughs> and of course, one of the best things to work those better methods in turn, you don't stop. You keep on reinvesting your best methods into creating better ones. Very simple principle. And if you, once you grab that tiger by the tail, you get dragged across all kinds of landscapes. Well, what, yeah. about, what about for the people who are listening, who are largely marketers? Well, they can do that now with whatever they now have as a problem-solving process. We're kind mm. of on the same question. And sooner or later, they'll be coming up with uh, techniques comparable to what you and I are now working with. But, or they can take a shortcut and work with those techniques and then go on from there inventing their own techniques. <laughs> I mean, there's no, no magic secret to it. This is something anybody can do. We're the only ones so far who bothered to do it. Right. Well, why is that? Is it simply because they don't have the awareness? Or is it a resistance to it? Well, people generally don't appreciate the possibilities open to them. Um, now, that opens a can of worms. Does that, does that have to do with a fear of change? You know, we want it the way we want change, but we fear that we may lose whatever level of security and happiness we have by changing. Well, maybe it's not even as dramatic as that. Okay. It's just that nearly all of us see only what we expect to see. And we hear only what we expect to hear. Ah. Well, I like that. Now, that's even more fascinating because we're stretching the possibilities here, which is what creativity is all about in my view of it. 
Yeah, all the time we're being shown by the world around us physically as well as by our own internal processes. We're being shown all sorts of things we didn't expect, and so we don't see them. Okay, let me, let me uh, make this even more bottom line. Say we've got somebody on the line who is, they've got a sales letter for their website, and they get a 1% or 2% response when they send it out. They're listening to this conversation, and they're thinking about new possibilities. And suddenly they're thinking to themselves, wow, I've gotten a 2% response in the past, and that's been good. But what if I applied a problem-solving method to this and went for more? Like I actually tried to get a 70% response to my sales letter. How would they go about creating that new reality? How would they go from you know, using your creativity techniques or whatever advice you would give at this point, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, so go for the ride with me here. They're going from a 2% response, but they want 70% because they suddenly realize that they've been getting what they've been expecting. So now they're going to expect 70%. How do they get there? Well, I guess one way would be to ask their image stream uh, what angle to play that would get them that 70% response. Now, when you say the image stream, is this back to the um, first thing we were talking about? Yeah, that we have the, we have the focus question: How do I go from two percent to a seventy percent response? Close our eyes, and then we're going to start getting images that'll be somehow relevant to the answer. We we may not immediately know how that is, or we can do the other process you talked about, which I forgot the name of, where we have the two different sheets of paper. Was there a name for that process, Win? Uh, well, two sheets is one name for it. Another is just the evoked sidebands response. Well, now we've got a very uh, kindergarten name, and we have a very scientific name. <laughs> Evoke the sidebands response. I kind of like that. That sounds very classy. Evoke the sidebands response is probably the one I would do. But the two sheets of paper can be the one anybody else can do, and they're, they're the same thing. Yeah. And so what we would be doing then is, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm going to mind read for a second, we would be delving into a larger awareness that we're not usually paying attention to. It's still our awareness, but we've been coming from consciously controlled view of what we think is possible. Suddenly we are anticipating to get a 70% response. We're looking for a way to do that, and what we're going to pull from is our unconscious. Yes. Is that true? Our beyond conscious. I don't call it unconscious anymore. Okay. We may be unconscious, but it isn't. <laughs> oh, it. Uh, we are unconscious, but it's not unconscious. Yes. And what is it? Is it in us, or are we in? Are we in it? <laughs> well, here's the thing of it. Uh, you know how the limbic brain is not really a single organ; it's a whole collection of various organs that we've lumped together and called the limbic. Yes. Well, it's a, the same issue with the so-called unconscious. It actually describes a great many different functions, uh, so many, in fact, you can't make a generalization on what it is or what it does. Mm. Uh, but the, Not that we don't hear a lot of generalizations on what it is and what it does mm -hmm. uh, tossed around, but the, uh, uh, let me describe one facet of it. Okay. Something like 2% of your brain associates by words and word concepts. Two percent of our brain. And that's the part that we're mostly conscious with. Okay. Somewhere between, and it differs from according to the authority, but uh, 
somewhere between 60 and 90, and I think something like 80% of the brain volume associates by sensory image, hmm. which would lead you to suspect something about where most of our intelligence is. And uh, that's 40 times as much as the part of our brain that consciously associates by word and word concept. Holy smokes. It, it, the story gets deeper. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. If we, if, we, uh, if we look at measurements of how fast information transits in the brain, how fast communications are, the part of our brain that thinks consciously in words and word concepts is trained down to the speed of the language that we speak. The, uh, that's what we're conscious with. Yes. The rest of the cortex, and that's only part of the picture, the rest of the cortex is some 10,000 times faster than what goes on in our conscious mind. The story does not end there. Mm. Uh, in the rest of the brain, the, the most important parts, the limbic portions, uh, are 10,000 times faster than in their processing time than are the, is the rest of the cortex. And uh, so that's 10 million times faster than our conscious processing of information, which is fortunate because we've got such a database to work in. Well, I, now that uh, I hear all of this, I feel like I'm very shallow when I just talk. <laughs> it, it, it helps to um, retain at least a little awareness of, of having awareness. <laughs> A little awareness of having a word. What about the old famous quote that says we're only using 10% of our brain? Are we even using that? No, we're not. What would uh, you say? The, the study was done, and this is a funny thing, because uh, everybody passes that information along, with, yeah. especially in workshops, but it's folklore. Uh -huh. uh, nobody go, bothers to go back and check the, the data. And it was done by C.Z. Young, Y-O-U-N-G, uh, in the book called A Model of the Brain. Okay. And uh, it was published by Oxford University Press uh, about 40-some years ago. And he did the actual counting. He took specimens of the brain and samples and counted the actual cells that had some degree of development to them. Uh, and it is true that somewhere between that when you measure whether a cell is developed or not by whether it has connections to other cells, uh, it is true that you have about 5 to 10% of the brain cells developed. But it's not true that the, you have 5 to 10% development because it does not take into account the degree of development. Amazing. And, and uh, what am I speaking to the point there is that if you uh, look at most brain cells, that are developed, they have maybe a dozen or so connections to other cells. But some brain cells have been counted with up to 60,000 connections with other cells. Mm -hmm. And so if you factor those two uh, fractions together, uh, then it's not true that we have 5 to 10% of the brain developed. We have less than 1% of 1% of 1% of the brain developed. Oh, wow. So there's some room for improvement. I would say. <laughs> oh, 
I can't even repeat what you just said. Less than one percent of one percent of whatever you said. Yes. I uh, that's my jaws dropped. Oh, when I could talk to you for days or weeks. You are so fascinating. <laughs> so fascinating. Well, the stuff we're doing is fascinating. I'm I'm about as ordinary as anybody. What's your favorite book? What's the book that people should be getting and reading? Is it The Einstein Factor, Discovering the Obvious, or something else? Probably The Einstein Factor makes a good introduction. Mm-hmm. If you're already into some of the kind of work it's done to uh, uh, get better than average results, uh, then I would, I would probably rank uh, Discovering the Obvious as, the, uh, as a good choice. Uh, that's among book titles and their audio courses as well. And is all of this on your website, or do they have to go to bookstores, Amazon, Nightingale Conant? Where do you want the people to go? Uh, well, I think uh, our website would be a good starting point because all the books that are currently available, all the books and audio courses that are currently available are in the book review section of my website. Okay. And that's www.winwenger.com. Now, I'm not going to let you go just yet. I want to ask another question or two, if you'll allow me, Win. Fine. Okay. Before, these people who have been listening probably just had their brains fried with all this information because we've really gone in deep, and I mean that literally, and we've also expanded people, including my own, awareness of what's possible out here and we've clearly gone through at least two of your techniques that i can't wait to start using again and i'm already a big fan of your work and a big believer in discovering the obvious and a big fan of the einstein factor and your audio programs with nightingale and so forth so what would you advise people to do first the people who are listening right now and this call ends in a few minutes what would you want them to do or urge them to do first to begin thinking more creatively to expand their mind, to be looking for those money-making ideas, to change the 2% response on a sales letter to a 70% or higher, what would you advise them to do? Put something in their pocket that they can carry with them everywhere that they can record their perceptions, their observations, and their ideas in. That easy? That easy. Amazing. And, and then use it, of course. And uh, to literally carry that everywhere and use it, uh, and to ensure that they don't forget and leave it behind, uh, mm. one way to ensure that would be to put in a bounty to your friends that if anybody caught you without your portable memory bank or your flash snatcher, mm-hmm. however you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. that they'd get $5 from you. Ah. <laughs> you wouldn't forget it very often. Yeah. Well, these are marketing guys. They probably should make it worth $500 or $5,000. <laughs> they should make it sting a little bit. Maybe I should come around and look. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you call it? You call it a flash something? What was flash the word? Flash snatcher. Flash snatcher? Yeah. Flash snatcher for the flashes of insight? Yes. Okay. And another question that, that I like to ask people is, what do you wish I had asked you on this interview? Is there a question you really wish I or somebody would ask you on an interview at some point? I think you've covered most of the bases. Um, We haven't gone into my motives uh, for all of this, some of which are admissible and some of which probably probably, uh, need to be held in reserve. Well, give me uh, uh, your best short answer to your motive for all of this. 
I got interested in problem solving primarily because I'm a student of the theory of civilization and why civilizations do the strange things they do and rise and fall. Mm. And uh, there are a lot of theories, including some of mine, that seem pretty plausible on why civilizations do themselves in, and nearly all of them have. Uh, but one description fits all cases, and that is that people at all levels let problems pile up mm. faster than they were solving them until it became too much. If we improve the general ability of people to solve problems, including their own problems and including whatever they may encounter, mm-hmm. we improve, therefore, the prognosis of our own civilization, which seems to be going through some of the same uh, uh, predispositions as other civilizations did when they did themselves in. I didn't know this. This is actually a huge, noble cause that's been motivating you. Yes, it's, uh, I've been with this one a long time. I first started uh, a serious study of serious civilizations back in uh, 1949, and I've been at it ever since. 1949? Yes. Before I was born? <laughs> now we know. <laughs> You're wet behind the ears. <laughs> I'm still a puppy. Um, oh, that that's fascinating. Well, what would you think? What would you say are the top problem? Maybe the top one or two or three problems that our current civilization needs to solve? Because you are providing techniques. Maybe we need to know what the problems are, in your opinion, to put these techniques to. Uh, one of the several problems I'd put up near the top would be. The, uh, each of the reasons that Jeremy Bentham of the Utilitarians originally gave for uh, having democracy, which I define as people having a meaningful say in the decisions which affect them, mm-hmm. uh, the original reasons for having a democracy managed pretty much to obviate ever since, uh, and, and increasingly so. You can raise a world issue, a question, or problem these days with almost any group of people, including even my own think tanks. And uh, the next sound you hear is the moist thwack of eyeballs hitting the ceiling. Because mm. uh, it's gotten too uncomfortable even to think about uh, larger issues and so forth, and most people prefer not to. And this has taken us a long way from the, uh, the uh, basic reasons that... Uh, Jeremy Bentham gave why we should have democracy. So I think the problem there then is uh, if we can solve that one, or resolve that one before we lose what's left of any democracy that we might have. And what specifically was that problem? Because you might have bleeped out there for a second. The problem that... uh, uh, People no longer have the interest even in their own affairs. Oh, okay. A type of apathy. Has them better informed than some distant decision maker as to uh, what would be most in their interest. Remember, the greatest good for the greatest number was the basic argument. And if everybody had input on the decisions that affected them, then uh, 
the decisions would come out better. And uh, now we've extinguished that condition. And is it because of apathy that we don't care, or is it because the circle of information is cut? Apathy because of a number of the things that we have done. Um, e even representing the uh, circle of influence that you wield, Joe, mm -hmm. uh, if you tried to uh, uh, bring a matter to any politician's attention of late, in Congress especially, or the president, or anybody of political note. The people who have the responsibility for making the decisions never get to see your input. Oh. I see what you and, mean. And wouldn't care if they did, because they, they, they think they can do it all from polls that are extremely sensitive to how the polls of the questions are worded. worded. Mm -hmm. So that... <clears throat> Well, uh, I don't want to paint doom and gloom, but we do have a problem there, and I would rank that as one of the uh, top unsolved issues. All right, and that's a challenge for all the Hypnotic Gold members and anybody else that ends up listening to this recording, is to use your methods on that particular problem as well as their own problems. It's not just about helping themselves, but helping all of us. That would be great. That would be wonderful. And we can all do that. So I'm encouraging people and challenging people to do it and to think more of uh, the entire planet and not just, you know, the individual. So, Wynn, i got to thank you. You've been can wonderful. I can I add a footnote? Yes, of course. The reason the economy supplies most of what you want is that the suppliers have to take into account the uh, dollar votes that you make. This is the way the free market operates. Yes. The, uh, we're not getting the equivalent of that politically. And the reason is we've, the one we've just been discussing about. So That's a great observation and a reminder, so we can use these methods to help resolve that. Yes. All right. Win. thank you. Everybody go to www.winwenger.com. Sign up for his newsletter, get his book, Discovering the Obvious, get the other one, The Einstein Factor. There's 46 more books there. There are two audio programs published by Nightingale Conant, which you can probably get through Winsight or from Nightingale.com. And this interview has been for Hypnotic Gold Inner Circle members only, and I've been talking to Win Wagner, the Einstein of this century, a dear friend of mine for decades now. Win, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Uh, go have a wonderful day, and I know you've got a couple dogs to play with and more research you, to do. You heard them going off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you down the road. Thanks again, Wynn. You bet. Okay. Bye.